Episode 132, Marvel's Jessica Jones, Season 1, Episode 3, also known as It's Called Whiskey. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to talk not about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but about Jessica Jones. This is the third episode of Jessica Jones, and since we're talking about Jessica Jones, I must be talking with my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, except for his one enemy out there. You know who you are. That's Dandy Daniel Butcher. And someday I will defeat that opponent in battle on the field of lacrosse. One day. One day. Actually, I I think I actually beat him last year. Your one enemy? You've defeated him already? Yeah. That's that's pretty good. It's pretty impressive. Well, I I mean, I've got this one buddy. Every time we've played for realsies, you know, he wins. But when we don't play for realsies, I win. So I feel good. And we're (laughs) friends. So. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, he's not in your top eight, though, is he? He's like eight, my though, 35th he? most. Important. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure he wasn't wasn't ahead of me. So No, he's not seven. All right, excellent. I might be 12th. Excellent. All right. I, myself, have three enemies, but I haven't met them yet. I just know they're out there. So when I meet them, I will know, and I'll have to figure out how I'm going to defeat them on the field of battle because I don't play lacrosse. Oh, so field of battle will probably involve nerf weapons of some sort. Maybe, maybe possibly angry birds. That seems like you. Yeah. So, well, uh, how you doing? You feeling well? Feeling well, you know, post Christmas, I've made it that I had about two days of uh, stress because I was worried about Star Wars spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So. Speaking of Star Wars, we're not going to spoil anything right now. After the credits, we are going to talk about Star Wars, and it will probably involve spoilers, but we will give you that warning. But that'll be our post-credit segment. People have asked for it, and we're going to we're gonna give the people what they want. We're nothing if not people-pleasers. And yeah, so we will give you at least a good two minutes about Star Wars The Force Awakens. Please like us. Please. We're, we'll sell out. If you just like us. That does sound like us. <laughs> well, I think we, we I, I think we've shamed ourselves enough. Uh, we should probably start with our actual episode here. What do you think? Let's go forward. All right. No news. So we are jumping straight ahead past the news segment that doesn't have a title. And into our preliminary investigation. So the way things work here for the preliminary preliminary investigation is that I make a fool of myself trying to pronounce it. And then we turn around and listen to some voicemails that were left by yours truly, me, and mine truly, Daniel. I don't know how, I don't know if that really is the way it works, but 
It's me and Daniel calling right after we've watched the episodes. So we can get our instant reaction. And the reason we started doing this was because our other shows where we're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and Agent Carter, we record right immediately after we watch. This is a way to get around that and to allow well, us to get that instant. What, what are we feeling right after that episode closes? I mean, just to be forthcoming, I finished about an hour and a half ago. On this episode again. Again, yes. Again. But so. but having seen it the first time without any foreknowledge of what was to come, and having seen it now with lots of foreknowledge of what's to come, well, it's, it's just kind of a fun way to look back. And so we're going to play a message from me, a message from Daniel, and and then we'll move on into to the discussion about the episode. But I'm I'm a little bit excited, Daniel. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, watching these episodes both times, I've just been curious. What's Daniel thinking, especially the oh, first time around? I think if, if this is what I think it is, I think it might be a goodie. OK, well, let's go ahead with that. How can we not start with you? So here comes Daniel with his instant reaction to also known as it's called whiskey. A.K.A. It's called whiskey. All I can say is, sweet Christmas, Luke. What about romance? You want to keep that girl? Yes, buddy. It's questionable if you're going to keep that girl at this moment. You got to work some romance into this. I'm just saying. The passion, I get it. You got some. But what about romance? Dinner, drinks. I'm, I'm talking not from a box, buddy. Not from a box. You're Luke Cage, man. You're smooth. You're cool. But you got to work in the romance. Hey, Elcat. Nice fight, buddy. Nice fight. Now, in the end, I mean, I, I know you didn't pull it off all the way in the end, but I was really impressed with the Hellcat uh, action scene. And Jessica, she's been told she's a good person, and then she betrays that person. I think I think we're going to have to get a little redemption here. A little redemption. But again, my favorite moment of the episode is Luke Cage dropping Sweet Christmas. All right. Peace out later. Bye. I like to bring the, the romance talk here, buddy. Yes, you are that helpless romantic between the two of us. Uh, I'm more pr pragmatic and more intentional in my displays of affection. So, I don't spontaneous. <laughs> That's me, buddy. <laughs> but again, I do think he needs to invest. Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, you, you've given your feelings there, and and I think you're onto something. Um, uh, you also said it doesn't look like there's much more happening, or you know, he's not going to be able to keep that girl or whatever. I mean, the way the episode ends, like, why do they have a relationship at all? But we'll get there. Should we hear? Oh, from... I know why. I know why. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it's purely it. It's a cow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here comes past Ben. Hey, Daniel. Hey, future, future Ben. Listen, uh, future Ben, uh, there's couple things I like about this. There's a couple things I don't. There's one big thing here. 
I think you and I can stand in solidarity on this. I've you know watched the third Jessica Jones, and lots of things are being revealed, and our our protagonists and our antagonists they saw each other face to face, and so we had at least that much. There's conflict in this episode and action that was tense. The future, Ben. We've had our problems in the past. In fact, all of your problems with me have been in the past just by the nature of what's happening here with our relationship and that I'm in the past. But I think we can both stand in solidarity on the problem of this episode. Now, in the future, you may find out this isn't a problem. You can't talk about what it's not because you can't talk about spoilers for the next episodes after this. But as far as this episode stands for me right now, my instant reaction is I'm a little frustrated at the idea. Well, it's coincidence. Coincidence. Luke Cage just happens to have superpowers and also just happens to have a wife who was killed by Jessica Jones. That's a little bit too much of a coincidence for me. Unless they fix it. And maybe, future Ben, you'll be laughing at me right now because they fixed it and it's not a coincidence. And that actually his wife was killed because of who he is. In which case, there's purpose behind the coincidence. And that makes it not a coincidence. But you know how I feel about coincidences, future Ben. And I know how you feel about coincidences. A little bit goes a long way. And a lot of it can kind of ruin my enjoyment. But it didn't completely ruin my enjoyment. This is a good episode, a strong episode. I'm excited. I'm waiting and willing to go along with this story. But I'm just, I'm not as intrigued as I was with Spell. And I think it's because it's a different kind of story. And I've said it before. So I'm not going to say it again. I'm sure you will say it again because you tend to repeat everything that I say. But, yeah. That's all I have to say. Uh, I'm liking it, but coincidence? Oh, I hope they fix it. That's all. Later, dude. Peace. Well, there he is. Past Ben. I, I kind of like him sometimes, and this is one of those times. He spoke some words that I was feeling because he was me speaking the words that he was feeling. Sometimes I lose track of things, but... I'm just glad you two are, are seem to be at a good place now. Well, you know, he brought up the C word. And interestingly enough, the C word was not in my notes when I was taking notes the second time through. And that, of course, was Christmas. Yes. Or coincidence. You can take your choice. Actually, I'm sure Christmas is somewhere in my notes. But uh, and I'm not going to be able to say if I'm laughing or not. Because uh, I don't want to give away too much if people are, you know, have not watched past this episode. So I can't say whether I stand in solidarity with past Ben or not. Other than to mm -hmm. say the coincidence in this episode uh, on that initial viewing, it felt like there was a lot of coincidence. But I don't think we could really get into what those coincidences are until we start talking about this plot and this these characters in, in more depth. So I, I think we should move on to our, our next segment, which is, of course, Daniel. You don't know. I have no clue. But the lady knows. 
And here she is. Surveillance report. Okay, so it's time for the surveillance report. Now, this plot, I just kept writing notes. So I'm going to try and get through it pretty quickly here for you, Daniel. But stop me. Stop me if you if we come across something that you really want to talk about without waiting until we, we talk at the end, okay? Okay. Because my notes beyond the plot are really uh, character beats. And each character kind of has a quote uh, that really kind of gives some insight into who they are and what they want. This was an episode where we we're getting to know them and finding out about them, which I guess is... You know, it makes sense. This is Getting episode three, and we need. <laughs> Which is more the Luke's doing? Well, let's let's begin, shall we? We pick up where we left off, and they have revealed their powers to each other in the previous episode. Now they are exploring their powers intimately, and they break a window while doing so. Did Maybe you notice? This is enough to say they have shared interests, that they have superpowers. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe that's enough to say they have commonalities. I just want there to be more for them to build on but than you know, just pure passion. It wasn't just pure, pure passion, though, especially if you look at those first few moments where it's really kind of tender as they are realizing, OK, I'm strong and I don't have to worry about hurting him. And he's realizing she's small and fragile, but I don't have to worry about hurting her because she's not really fragile. And so they... I mean, there's that common interest, definitely, of having superpowers, but uh, I think that that's an important thing. You know, that's that's what happens as you're getting to know someone. Oh, oh, you like you like you too as well, or oh, you have indestructible skin as well. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that happens as you're getting to know someone, and that that early moment where they're first exploring. That was really kind of uh, tender and, and, and sweet. And, and then it moved away from that. But And they broke a window. Did you notice? Oh, yeah, I did. I did, too. I'm, I'm thinking that there's something to that, that there's going to be a broken window in every single episode. But not just a broken window, but there's going to be a, a window that gets broken by one of our characters. Great. Now I'm going to have to rewatch and look for broken windows. Well we've only had two other episodes and the one, you know, is just first episode. She throws a guy through the window. Just like in the comic second episode. I believe it was on the subway. She broke the subway window. So now third episode, she breaks the window in the wall up above the door or whatever. So, uh, they go out to eat and they have just this nice conversation about, are there more of our kind out there? It's nice to grub out with a girl who likes to eat. How do we fit into this world? All that kind of stuff. And then after they're done eating, they go and there's more property damage and she's happy. She feels like she's with someone that she likes until she goes into the bathroom to brush her teeth, finds a picture of the woman who died, his ex-wife. There's a flashback. She busts out of there. Her happiness is gone. Not ex. Former. Dead. Dead wife. Not yeah. ex-wife. Dead. Dead wife. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
technically speaking, the phraseology well is correct. It's just it's not... important to make it clear. He did not choose to leave her and she did not choose to leave him. She was taken away from him. Yes. Exactly. And that's where there's a key significant plot point there, obviously. I mean yeah. and it was Jessica who woman, took her what, away. Twice now? Twice now we've seen this woman? In, in flashback? We, yeah. Yeah. And, and we know Jessica's involved. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, clearly, this is going to be something that maybe my man Luke should have talked to his lady about before getting physical, Olivia Newton-John. Well, but, I mean, the impression that you get is that he has had a number of physical relationships with people. He doesn't want complications. Uh, he just wants, you know, to have the physical Well, you know what they say in Jessica Jones, alias. Luke is a skirt chaser, actually cape chaser. Cape Chaser, interesting. Yeah, actually, there's been a lot of talk about that recently uh, in some interviews that I've seen them bring up the fact that he's considered a Cape Chaser in Alias. So, hmm. maybe we'll see you. Alias, a.k.a., excuse me, Jessica Jones. So, maybe we'll see some skirt chasing. Or Cape Chasing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, she goes, leaves... Abruptly goes to get some alcohol from a convenience store. And while she does that, there's a conservative talk show radio show uh, talking about Kilgrave and Hope. And people are calling in and, and they're, they're giving their opinions about this. Uh, then she begins her search for surgical anesthetic. And this is really interesting. And this, this really, I think, gives us uh, some insight into what kind of a superhero show we're watching here. She's searching for his weak spot. She's searching for his kryptonite, basically. And as she is doing so, it's really kind of low key. It's really her doing a little bit of research, going and talking to people. Um, people showing their preconceptions about her. Mm-hmm. And doing private eye kind of stuff, you know, going and finding contacts that she knows who might be able to get this, this thing that she needs. It's, it's not, it's not science man, you know, who's trying to cook up the, the special thing. It's not Superman flying to another planet and fighting bad guys. So he can find, you know, that magical elixir. This is, it's just tonally a very different kind of show. And I, I like it. I, I like that aspect of it. And I like how, this is a character thing for her. She goes to Hogarth and she's with that. She's trying to protect hope, uh, you know, cause Kilgrave leads a trail of broken people. So she says you can find them and you'll have more stories for hope's case. But Hogarth is like, no, what about you? What about your story? Uh, then she goes to Trish asking for a favor. Can you go on the radio and defend hope? And she also reveals to Trish that she's found Kilgrave's weakness. And then she also finds out that Trish has been training and training hard. And, and we find out that Trish and Jessica, I think we need to point it out, are very, very personal because Jessica knows all about Trish's mom. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, but, but it's pretty clear Jessica does to the point where you feel like she knows Trish's mom. Yes, and not only that, I mean, she sees bruises, and that's when she asks, has your mom been around again? 
And so here we get some insight into Trish's character as well. Both Jessica and Trish are victims of some form of abuse. We don't know for Trish exactly what it is. But then she also says, no one is ever going to touch me again. And she says it I want force. them to. Yeah. With force, she says that. Yeah. And she says it with force later on. By saying it with force, I mean she uses her fist. <laughs> it's a great little scene. But um, yeah, so we get some in- it, nice, good information. But we also see the intimate details of each other's lives that these two women share. And I love their friendship. It's not... Okay, Trish is no Foggy Nelson. No. But their relationship is... It is Foggy Nelson. It's a very, very close relationship, and it's the kind of relationship that I liked from Daredevil. Just well, in a I, different... It's just two different characters having that well, relationship. Well, I'm going to throw... The, the, it is severely different. It is severely different. Jessica and Trish don't have secrets. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's that familiarity, there's that long-standing friendship, there's that closeness that goes beyond just friends, but uh, you know, tribe, circle, companions, comrades, but you know, Matt Mar- Murdoch has got huge secrets from Foggy. Huge, 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 huge. But Trish knows everything about Jessica. She knows about Kilgrave, she knows about her past, she knows about the abuse. I think pretty much the only thing she doesn't know about is what have you been up to during this time when you haven't been talking to me? Sweet Christmas. <laughs> oh, we it just need- seems like a good time to drop it this time of year. It's so merry. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, who knows when people are listening to this, but you know, we're recording it and it's around that season. So I'm just, again, I- I'm going to gl- just roll around and enjoy it because the fact that he dropped it, and I hope we're going to see it in his show and hope we see it a few times more. I mean, I will say it is definitely more so than even in the comic book. It feels like a profanity, but it is so much oh. of a Luke Cage catchphrase. I don't to feel like it's a profanity. See them working though. it in and working it in with explanation and force and emotion. Well done, scriptwriters. Yeah, I, I hope we get to find out like. There's just some sort of little story about that. That's something, you know, his his great aunt Sadie used to say. I don't know. but His great aunt Sadie used to make the best Christmas cookies. So he used to say sweet Christmas whenever it arrived. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, they've MCU'd sweet Christmas nicely, though. Uh, just just to put it out there, it could be ridiculous. It could be absolutely ridiculous. And we still grin when he says it. Because of the ridiculousness of the comic book, but it's not ridiculous coming out of his mouth. Not here. You know, in many ways, too, I, I'm reading Iron Man and Power Fist, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist right now, um, the epic collection. And in many ways, this Luke Cage is really not that emotionally off the Luke Cage I'm seeing because that Luke Cage is very guarded, very concerned about his future, um, has to take care of himself. You know, um, very familiar, to be honest, to the one that I'm seeing here on Jessica Jones. So I'm digging it. Yeah. I'm totally digging Power Man. I am, too. I was surprised to see what we saw already. He's He's got his powers. He's had his powers. He's established himself with a life where he's been dealing with his powers. But now I'm I'm I want to see more of him. And now, as of this episode, I'm thinking. 
this is three episodes and all three of them have had him in it. What's going on here, man? But yeah, he he's a nice addition. And like I said, coming out of his mouth, Sweet Christmas is not ridiculous. It's just not. It feels natural. It feels like that, you know, that weird thing that your friend in college used to say because he's from a different you know state. But it's natural when he says it. So. All right. So from here, we have uh, uh, Jessica go out looking for the surgical anesthetic. She goes to Hogarth's wife, Wendy, in the hospital. Wendy is no help. Wendy is slightly sarcastic and very offended. And instead of giving her what she needs, the surgical anesthetic, she gives her an antipsychotic. But but I love this. I really do love it because of Jessica's reaction. Because, you know, Captain America would have been really offended. Tony Stark would have gone off the, the, the rails for this. What's Jessica say? Eh, just in case. <laughs> yeah. So she's not actually drug-seeking, even though the, the doctor thinks she is. But, you know, since you're going to prescribe something, eh, I'm just going to go ahead and grab it, just in case. So she considers theft in the hospital. And she kind of walks through a checklist of uh, cost versus outcome. Knocking out one clerk. That's worth it. Knocking out two clerks, still the right call. Knocking out three, maybe four clerks, actually, when she do. Uh, and then more and more people show up. And it's just not, it, it just doesn't make sense for her to do it. Well, and I also think there's a moral cost with some of these. There is. She's weighing but, that moral cost. The, yeah, throughout the whole we, episode, we, she is. Well, we've got, we've got a pregnant lady in the room. You know? That changes She's things. counting that as two people. But I think the fact that it's a pregnant individual is, in fact, weighing on her mind. Yeah. And then the police come or the, the guards or whatever and make it just absolutely impossible for her to do. But, you know, you're right. This is this. She's weighing the moral cost. And that's actually one of the elements of my notes here as she goes on. Because what's what happens in our next scene? You had mentioned this before. I can't remember if it was your call or if it was you. Uh, she helps Malcolm, who has just gotten hit by a uh, bicycle commuter who is just a jerk. <laughs> I'm saving the planet by riding this bicycle and you can't even look up. And she helps Malcolm in that confrontation. And he says to her, you're a, you're a great human being. And that's going to come back to bite her psychically. But, and again, I feel like he's speaking some truth there, even though we know what's going to happen later in the episode. I mean, even there, she's doing this thing for a moral good. And I'm going to say this when we get there. He probably could stand to go to the hospital. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But uh, she goes home. People show up to fix the door. And we, I want to talk about this door, but we don't have to talk about it right now. Then she finds out Trish is willing to do the radio show, but that the radio show is not going to be a defense of hope necessarily. It's going to be a live remote with hope and Hogarth, and basically she's saying Hope wants to fight back and I want to help her. So she's going to go live on Trish's podcast. Yes, I look at Trish with those microphones and think, oh, you just crop the photo just right and she could be one of us, Daniel. There's just one problem. What? Trish is getting paid. <laughs> well, we're getting paid too, in love. 
in love. I was going to say, I was going to say that exactly. Cause we're samesies. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I hated those days with my, we'd ask my parents, are, are we rich or are we poor? And my parents would always answer inevitably. We're rich with love. And then they had another kid and we were even more rich with love. You drop this all the time on your kids, don't you? No, because I remember how how angry it used to make us. We just want a good answer. Yeah. Never went hungry, though. We lived on faith and we ate. So that's a whole other story for another day. Uh, so she goes to Luke now asking for help finding the drug. And instead of getting the drug, they have intimate relationships again. And that's where we get the sweet Christmas. And it's just kind of a sweet Christmas. Again, not ridiculous coming out of his mouth. After that, they have a long discussion trying to talk with Jessica, not actually saying anything. <laughs> She dances around everything that she needs to say. Uh, we don't know exactly what her connection is to his wife. Other than she was involved when his wife died. And so we don't know exactly what she could be saying other than revealing to him the details. And yeah, it's, it's awkward. It's unfortunate, but that's where they're, they're going with the story. So we go from there to the radio interview. And this is where we get a nice comparison of mind control to aliens. You know, this is a, the second Avengers reference this episode. The first being uh, Luke Cage asking, you know, so there's <laughs> us, the green guy and, and his, his buddies. crew. Yeah, his crew. Because we can't just come out and call them what they are. Just like in Daredevil, we're going to dance around the fact that there was a big battle in New York, but we're not going to say the Avengers word. You know, it's interesting, too, though. The Avengers word is maybe not a known phrase for the, the general public, but the names of all those people. You know, the green guy, maybe not, but Captain America, Iron Man. Well, actually, no, I would say in the MCU, the one thing we know for sure is they should be able to say Tony Stark and his crew. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve I mean, Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could argue that maybe Luke Cage falls in before Civil, uh, not Civil War, falls in before Winter Soldier. But everybody knows who Tony Stark is in the same way that we all know uh, who John Lasseter is. Yeah. Yeah. Or we've at least heard the name. Yeah. Or, or Kathleen Kennedy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or a. George Lucas. Or maybe a better example would have been Bill Gates. Well, yeah, a better example is Bill Gates. I mean, he is the Bill Gates of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he's a superhero. Yeah. Everybody knows who he is. So, I mean, the fact that they know he's a green guy, maybe they don't know that his name is the Hulk. But they should know that Tony Stark is part of that team. Yeah. So they have, they, they address what I call the Godzilla problem, which, do you know what the Godzilla problem is, Daniel? You've probably heard me talk about it before, but you probably don't remember what it is. Um, the fact that when you say Godzilla, I begin to go. No, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, every single episode, they come across a monster and they say, that's not possible that that monster can do that or that there's something oh, that yeah. big. They have a remote control that summons Godzilla. 
at their whim and will. And yet, you know, a giant spider is not possible. But they address that. You know, they say, hey, if aliens can attack, mind control is possible. And they ask for more people to come forth. And then Trish goes on a verbal warpath suggesting edible issues and other things, you know, and Jessica tries to stop her. But this is where we get our first real confrontation within this episode. Kilgrave calls in and threatens Trish. This is a big moment. It's a big moment. And I'm wondering, how's Daniel feeling? Because it's disconnected. There's a disconnection. There's no face. But it's still tense tense because it's very threatening. It is very threatening. Hope freaks out from her cell. Um, It is a a scary moment. Then they walk out of the interview. (laughs) This is where it happens. First, Hogarth, uh, Trish realizes with, with Jessica that Hogarth was setting Trish up to defend the mind control idea without Hogarth having to actually say she believes in this mind control thing. So Hogarth can have plausible deniability. I never said I believed in it. Other people did though. Uh, And Trish admires it as smart and evil, but a fan touches her shoulder and she turns around, punches him in the gut and then leaves without even signing his, his comic book. His Patsy. Did that have a Marvel digital code? I don't know because it actually looked like it might. Oh, well, it, you know, this is a comic from what, 15 years ago when she was doing, you know, her other thing as a child star, she had red hair and he has it in a, a poly bag, but it's not, this guy's not a comic collector. This guy is a fan of her has the comic in a bag that the comic fits in but it's loose in there. You know, this is not a, a, you didn't go to a comic shop to get the collecting uh, paraphernalia that he would need. I love the fact that he calls out too. He used to like the red hair because I'll be honest on Facebook. I saw somebody completely freak out because she didn't have red hair. Uh, He turned off the show because Trish didn't have red hair. That's the reason he chose not to watch. It wasn't the content. It wasn't the language. It wasn't that the style was something he didn't like. It wasn't, you know, that he didn't like any of the actors or actresses. It was that Trish had blonde hair. I I don't get that. I understand certain amounts of internet rage. This was one that I just could not follow along. Or maybe he was joking. He wasn't. He wasn't. I followed that because I had another friend who was who was uh, commenting on that. And and people were calling him out because Daredevil is supposed to have red hair. And he's he was just, no, this is a favorite character of mine from when I was young. And she always had red hair. And yeah, it's a defining characteristic. So. Yeah, but he would have gotten punched in the gut by. By Trish if he tried to touch her red hair so it's a fun moment though a funny moment in an otherwise tense situation because of the tension it's one of those moments that cuts the tension away without deflating our villain you know we, we laugh with the moment but she didn't even sign the comic though Jessica if she would have signed the comic he might not have made a report to the police 
And that's going to show up later here. So Jessica tries to get Dr. Karata. Can't get Dr. Karata. The door is fixed in her apartment. It looks great, but she has to break it again because the guys who came to fix it won't give her the key until she pays for it. Meanwhile, Ruben is helping Malcolm, who is clearly high. And that's when she gets an idea. This is where she is going to, you know, dig into that moral code and say, you know what? There's a greater good. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. (laughs) And the one is Malcolm. You have been a hot mess all week waiting to drop a Star Trek reference, haven't you? No, no, actually just came to me. So, I mean, it's, it's a part of my, my soul. It's a part of my inner being platitudes from Star Trek three and Star Trek two, but they go to the hospital and he's saying, oh, I feel so bad for him. Cause you know, you know, they are not there for the purpose that she is telling him. He's saying, I feel fine. I don't need to be here. Why are we here? And then she just pushes him over, uses him to create a diversion and leaves him behind after she steals the surgical anesthetic. You want to pause here? Talk about this at all? No, I'm I'm good right at the moment. I mean, I don't know what she needed a distraction. She needs this. There's more than her to take care of here. The needs of and, the many. Not, there's no consequence for him. I, I mean, I really don't think, think that's entirely it, true other than it could be a deserved consequence. He's high. He's definitely high. He has been taking some form of substance. Probably it's not, not like legal he's in jail the next day. No, he's not. They they let him go. They do. So, I mean, I think she took a good risk. But she lied to him. And she used his trust. And does he truly really know that he was lied to? Well, who knows how conscious he is about anything that's going on. But she gets the meds. She gets the stuff she needs. Then we go to Trish. Police are there. It's Officer Simpson. He has come to talk to Trish about the assault outside the radio station. She's not going to let him in until she realizes he's a real cop. Then she lets him in. He attacks her and her training keeps her alive because he is there to kill her. Clearly, this is Kilgrave who has sent him and has is making good on his threat. Uh, Jessica arrives and is clever enough to use that surgical anesthetic on Trish to make him think she's dead. Because he just has to finish what Kilgrave tells him to finish. But it's not Jessica's time. He doesn't want to shoot Jessica because it's not your time. She lets him go, tracks him to the apartment where Kilgrave is living, plans to go in to kill Kilgrave or to go after Kilgrave rather, but is interrupted because Kilgrave sends Simpson to go jump off the side of the building. And we get, Leave, officer. Yeah, not that way. Not that way. We get another flashback and we see a little bit more of what happened to Luke's wife. Kilgrave ordered Jessica to take care of her. And then we get some interesting, there's some more information here 
because Jessica takes a look at what she has done. The body is there, and Kilgrave says, leave her be, let's go. And he's yelling at Jessica, but she does not turn around. She leaves. And so this suggests, is she out of his power? What's going on here? Was she able to break free? She doesn't seem, before he says take care of her, she just seems vacant. Is that the right word? Uh, vacant's a great word for that, yeah. But then afterwards, it's almost like realization. Yeah, like she's waking up. Yeah. So we come back from the flashback. She stops Simpson from jumping, but Kilgrave escapes. She goes after him, but the family of the living in the apartment fights her on behalf of him. And instead of finding Kilgrave, she discovers a room covered in photos of her. And suddenly, some of these camera angles that we have been looking at her from early on take on a little bit of new meaning because some of these pictures are times that we've been with her in previous episodes. Then we get a weird jump cut where we are landing in the trash outside the building. Simpson has woken up from being knocked unconscious uh, he tried to jump off the roof, but she helped him survive and we don't see how she did. So we just know that she has that slight, uh, the falling with style as, as a uh, buzz. Lightyear I mean, did they fall it. over? I mean, it almost looks like she just kind of knocked him into trash bags, even though she makes it seem like she fell with him. So did she jump? I think she jumped after him and was able to using her power, uh, make it so he doesn't land hard enough to be harmed that's that's what i think i think she went out after him over the over the side of the building no i'm willing to buy it well i'm willing to sell so uh he realizes what he has done though things wear off after he has fulfilled the programming he thinks he killed trish but he didn't and jessica just tells him just forget everything you saw here just don't even think about it. Just forget it. Then she goes to Luke's place and she breaks up with him. And he thinks it's because she can't handle the dead wife. And that's sad. It is. And our final scene is a kind of terrifying scene. If you really think about all the implications, all those pictures, she has one and it's a picture of her spying on Luke. It's a picture of her sitting up in that spot where we saw her before. And she was taking pictures of Luke or not taking pictures, but looking at him through the camera. And she realizes like anybody could be spying on her for Kilgrave. That's not horrifying. I don't know what is because he's not going after her directly. And the implication here is Maybe he can't go after her directly. Maybe he's afraid to try going after her directly. See, and that's not what I got. Oh, see, that's what I, I got because of the the flashback. See, I got obsession. Oh, there's absolutely that, too. I mean, but stalker obsession. I mean, yeah, he's mentioned he wants to make her hurt. He wants to make her hurt like he did. But, I mean, is it because he wants her back? Well... The pictures he's taking, I mean, he's clearly monitoring almost every single moment of her, 
of her life outside of her apartment and maybe even some inside. I don't know how, how many pictures uh, there might be of, you know, through her windows. But again, up until this point, we've had a lot of weird camera angles that have been intentionally shooting through windows. We're looking at people through windows or looking at people through cracks or we're looking at people through fences or we're looking at people, you know, around corners. And, you know, that style, you know, up until this point, I thought, oh, it's just stylistic. And then you realize, oh, it's not just stylistic. It's not just metaphorical because she's a private eye who spies on people. She's also got people spying on her. And it, it adds to the tone and it adds to the, the weight of what's going on. So. Yeah. So that's our episode. I've got a few uh, notes about each character here. I don't know. Well, what why kind don't of you go ahead you and have. go through those and see if it lodges anything that I want to talk about. All right. Well, let's start. I'm going to start at the bottom here. Let's start with Ruben. <laughs> Ruben, they have foil over their windows. Uh, because and beetle collections, and beetle collections, so and a bowling trophy. Uh, Ruben and his sister, uh, what's her sister, his sister's name? Crazy Sim- girl, it's similar to Ruben, they, they have similar sounding names, but they're weird, they're odd, but he's kind of likable, and yeah, only because he listens to the show. <laughs> He feels dirty, you know, like he's just kind of icky, gross. He's the kind of guy that, you know, we got to treat him good. We got to treat him right. And and I, I'm going to talk to him if I see him, but I'm going to feel kind of skeezy afterward. <laughs> so, well, but yeah, they have foil over the windows. Why? Why not? They're paranoid. They live a life and that's weird. Just the, yeah, they're paranoid. They're weird. They live a life that's basically just the two of them. And he's kind of expanding out of that and maybe has a little something for for Jessica. You see the way he looks at her and spies on her when she's exploring her. And lusts for her. Exploring her intimate superpowers. Spying on her, stalking her, watching her do physical things. So the thing with Ruben is at this point, I'm wondering what are they setting him up for? Because again, remember this, ep- this episode is part three of a 12 part or is it 13? However 13? many parts. 13? Yeah. This is a movie. This is a 13 hour movie. And these little things of characters who are showing up and having character traits and character beats, uh, they may be small, but we're watching just a portion of their story in a much longer narrative. So next uh, to Malcolm, the quote I wrote down from Malcolm. Oh no, that was, that was Ruben's quote. (laughs) Ruben's quote was, I guess he is a bit scary. If you just woke up and don't know him and you're a bit racist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody's a little bit racist. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm against, I'm racist against Star Trek fans. You know, the thing is, at times, there's also times that I say, hey, that looks like a great Guardians of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> Star Trek Beyond is going to be more Star Trek than any other Star Trek movie in this new series of trilogy. And more Guardians of the Galaxy than any of the others have either. Uh, that is quite possible. Although it's going to have even more motorcycle than Guardians of the Galaxy ever had. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, more motorcycle. 
Uh, no, Malcolm's line that kind of d- let me know a little bit about who he is, is you're a good person. You're a good human or whatever that he says to, to Jessica, this guy, again, he, they're setting him up as something more. They have to be because we're, we're concerned about him, the way that they're filming him, the way that they're bringing him into the story we're we're concerned about him. Where is he going to go at this point of the series? I'm thinking that it's going to be something, uh, you know, getting him cleaned up and helping him out and trying to redeem uh, Jessica, trying to redeem herself in his eyes. But yeah, but he's, he's sympathetic, definitely sympathetic. So. Hogarth, the quote I wrote down for her is I like to win cases. And I believe her. I believe that she she doesn't believe in the no win scenario, more Star Trek, because she won't step into the no win scenario. Yeah, I believe she's a lawyer who's very, very concerned about her win rate. Yeah. And so she won't take on losing cases. Hope is a losing case, but she's choosing to take it on. So she's going to win it. And how is she going to win it? She's going to use people. She is going to do whatever she can to keep her hands clean and to keep her public perception clean. But I believe she's also going to win this case, even if she loses it, because I think to her having a favor in Majeska is a victory. Maybe, but this is a pretty public loss if she loses, especially the way she's choosing to play the game. So Trish, no one touches me unless I want them to. That that's my defining quote for her on this episode. But the other thing I noticed with her in this episode is she believes in hope because she has seen what happened to Jessica. Even if we haven't seen exactly what happened to Jessica, although we're starting to see more bits and pieces uh, because she has seen what happened to Jessica. She believes in what happened to hope and has to be very careful how she approaches that because she pays for it. When she goes off on Kilgrave. She pays Yeah, I'm liking Trish a lot. Still not liking her as much as Foggy Nelson. Who I didn't realize until I watched uh, Hunger Games. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. In uh, Mockingjay Part 1, the mute bearded man. Foggy Nelson. I send uh, you a text yeah. and you're like, duh. I get excited about things and send you a text and say, hey, did you know this? And you're just, yeah, whatever. I already knew Dude, that. Dude, already been there. I already knew that a long time ago. Though I haven't seen the second half yet. I haven't either. I'm going to take my son to see it. He, he was, he, we liked the, the part one here of Mockingjay. Yeah. Well, it was a good nap. <laughs> All right, Luke. Got a couple different quotes for him. One, I protect myself and what's mine. Interesting. That's kind of his, his worldview as far as being a hero. Being a hero puts a target on your back. And this is a guy who does not want people prying into his business or into his life, especially police type people. He doesn't believe the story. And she brings up that whole Godzilla problem. You know, you've got unbreakable skin, but he says, you can see my skin. You can't see mind control. You can see my skin. And we can, we saw, we saw him take a circular saw to his skin and it did nothing. We totally witnessed it. Yeah. Also, Jessica is the first that he's met who is like him. And his 
secret origin. He was an experiment. More to come on that. <laughs> More to come on that. Uh, I'm just wondering about the prison time that I'm, I'm sure has to be involved. Yeah, man. I mean, they just drop that little tidbit and you just uh, wait more. Oh, no, they're going back to bed. <laughs> I don't want them to go back to bed. I want to hear more about the experiment. How did you get like this? Yeah, Jessica has her own problems. We're not going to get 99 her. problems. Yeah. And Luke is one of them. Also, Boom. the other thing we find out is he doesn't know how unbreakable he is. Uh, what was this? The, I can't remember the phrasing. I, he, I didn't write this down, but he says on a scale between I don't know and I don't want to find out or something like that, or he hasn't been forced to find out. But yeah, so that's Luke in this episode. Shall we go to Jessica? Let's do it. OK, I I feel bad. I, I just didn't take as many notes. I mean, yeah. That's why I took lots of notes. I'm, I'm, I didn't know it, but I was making up for it. And okay. So here's, here's with Jessica. There are a few quotes. One is, could you ever be forgiven if the devil really did make you do it? And could you ever forgive yourself? That kind of seems to be a series, a series long, uh, character arc for her or, or mission statement for her character. Um, we see her desperation, when she is trying to get the surgical anesthetic, she says, I'll do anything to get it. And also she gave the hero gig a try, but quote, it didn't work out. And I want to know more about that little jewel. We do, but instead they go back to bed. No, don't go back. I want to hear more. Stay on the date. No. <sighs> And then as she's considering, how am I going to get this stuff? She has to cross a moral line. She's going to have to do something. She's going to have to get someone to do something wrong for her, hurt someone, or as a part of that, then it's also stealing and, and theft. So, so you, you want to hear my theory about the big metaphor in this episode? I want you to hit me with it, but I thought... I'm going to hit you. Get that metaphor stick and whack me across the head. I am going to whack you with the metaphor stick. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I don't know if I like it. So, yeah, the door. It's the door, Daniel. The door gets fixed. But then she has to break it a little bit again in order to use it. And this is kind of her in this episode. She's kind of happy with Luke. She's actually having a few moments of normalcy. She's having a few moments of just regular life, finding someone who shares interests. The shared interest being, you know, this, this physical body that's different than the rest of the world around them. But then she has to break it off. She has to break the door to get back into her house because it's locked and she has to break that, that happiness. She is the door, Daniel. I'm not willing to go so far as she's the door in the whole series, but in this episode, and then possibly even if we're looking backward at some of the other stuff that's going on, she is that door. It gets broken. It gets fixed. It gets used. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, metaphorically, that door represented her. And do you remember, uh, I can't remember which episode it was of Daredevil, but Daredevil had that metaphorical door where he had to go through the door, get the little kid because the little kid was him. He's rescuing himself. We have yes. something similar going on here. So that's my big metaphor. That's it. <laughs> and that's why you need a stick to deliver that. Yeah. Well, I guess me if I had, I had an actual stick, that would have given us a little bit more uh, weight. But, and then there's Kilgrave. Kilgrave, who is watching football while sending a man to die. He casually says, go jump off the building and then yells at the people on the screen because they are not playing well. And here's a thought, Daniel. He's watching this game. He's cheering for his team. He has no control over what is happening on that screen. Do you think he's getting a thrill from that? Or is he feeling even more frustrated than, say, you would watching people play a game? That you have no control you, over. You know, I hadn't actually thought about that. There's not a lot in his life that's not predictable and controllable. I mean, any so. room he goes into, he has control. But this is where I did wonder if he was going to be yelling at the players and they would start doing things he was telling them to do. So for me, this kind of was revealed some limitations to his power. That was interesting. That's, that's an interesting thought, Ben. I like it. So, every once in a while, Daniel. Every once in a while, I'll come up with a metaphor about a door and not impress anyone. But then maybe I'll have another little insight five minutes later. So, I say we write down this day and this time forever. Time code 57 minutes and 30 seconds. So what do you say we move into our next segment? I think that's a good idea because I think anything else that I have to say, I honestly would put later with my rating. Yes. So right now we'll move on to the the witness statements. I I'm just saying that to show that I actually do know this time around what these different segments are called, but I'm going to let the lady say it too right now. Witness statements. Okay, so we have three things. One is a voicemail that I'm going to save for the end. One is a an email about welcome to level no, not about welcome to level 7. <laughs> That's the two. The subject uh, is actually Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then one is about uh, Ladies' Night. So where do you want to start, Daniel? I don't know. I just would like to compliment you for letting the ladies say it. Because, again, that is being a gentleman. I am being a gentleman. Of course. Relationship advice, dudes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Of course, the lady is, you know, uh, here's a secret. She, she's not real. It's not, what? Yeah, it's it's not a real person. It's it's a it's a iPad app. I was drinking yeah. at the time, and I am in shock, and I'm upset. Hey, you know my daughter today made me do an actual literal spit take. I started drinking. She said something funny and poof, spit right back out into the cup. Fortunately, classic. It was great, and she was very proud of herself. And then right. an hour later, she was sick. Classic. All right, let's uh, let's go to um, Agent Stewart from DAUP. A, eh? you ready? Subject: Witty feedback. Subject line: <laughs> Hey guys, finally caught up with season three of Agents of Shield. And although I'm not a huge fan of the Inhuman arc, I really do like the mythology of Hydra. 
Is that something that has been explored in the comics? Also, I'd like to applaud the creators and studio for allowing our show to basically be 10 to 13 episode seasons. Instead of getting fatigued halfway through, cough, 24, cough, heroes, cough, the next generation, cough. The pace is brisk and the stories are well written. So if we get five seasons and a movie, we'll actually get 11 stories. That's kind of cool. Thanks. Your friend in UP, Agent Lestu. So that is kind of cool. The idea of getting 11 stories or whatever. But uh, I'm telling you, this pacing is crazy. I was listening to one of our older episodes today from the beginning of the season. And and you were talking about Neo Hydra and how it was going to leave its mark. <laughs> well. Yep. Ward's Neo Hydra. Well, marks think, were left. But... Yeah. Where's henchman number one? I miss him. Oh, man. Yeah. Good grief. Uh, what about Hydra in the comics, though? Do you know if they've been ex- if they've explored the the history of Hydra in the comics like that, going back well, into prehistory kind of stuff? Um, no, I've never seen anything like this. To me, this is a whole new Hydra history. And I don't remember Hydra being mentioned in the Shield history, uh, the Jonathan Hickman Shield book. Mm, yeah. Well, I uh, know, I know. Um. Trying to think, uh, there is the thing with the Zodiac, uh huh. But that's got some alternative people. No, I I don't remember them being high, because they're the it. It's kind of Shield versus Shield. So yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so now we'll move to. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's a an old feedbacker, uh, but with a new title. And the subject is AKA ladies night. Howdy gentlemen. PI Kurt here to talk about some Jessica Jones for me. While this first episode wasn't perfect, it was certainly attention grabbing and engaging from start to finish. I haven't seen the show since the weekend it released, but I'll try to summarize as best I can. Firstly, I have to mention the intro. How cool does it look and sound? That sequence of images, along with that gorgeous jazz styled music that eventually builds into a more energetic sound is awesome. It's one of my favorite TV themes for sure. Now, as for the episode, I did like a lot of things and most of them related to Jessica. She was so blunt, cynical, and almost unlikable, though because of her past and line of work, you understand why she is the way that she is. Also, Luke Cage, like Daniel said, what a beautiful man indeed. He's a nice guy in the beginning and seeing their sexual relationship was interesting because of their personalities. And while it's not as graphic as Game of Thrones, it could have been toned down. I love how Daniels described the show, mentioning how the issues in this show do happen in real life, and that's what makes them so painful and realistic. Oh, and I agree with Ben that some of the music felt out of place during certain scenes. Also, watching this episode made me feel dirty, dirty, (laughs) dirty. What's that? I don't know. (laughs) Today is just the day of Ben not pronouncing things well. Also, watching this episode made me feel dirty in the sense that there was a lot of visual, uncomfortable, and psychological elements whether it was Jessica's flashbacks slash visions or those final moments with Hope killing her parents. A fair amount of it was crazy. And just to mention Hope a little more, poor girl. Kilgrave having his way with her and then leaving her in the bed in the hotel was mean, but then to have Hope unfortunately kill her parents without her knowing was frightening. Overall, it was a good start for stuff to come later. Just can't wait for your future episodes. This is P.I. Kurt out. 
So yeah, thanks. A lot of good insights there, mainly because I, I agree with them. <laughs> it's well, you do like those things that tend to agree with you. If I've learned anything about you. Well, now I do allow things to, you know, go by that I don't agree with, but yeah, we've yet to see. Yeah. Well, just have to have an open mind, Daniel, an open mind toward what I think. And then you yeah, will that's, understand. That's what you keep telling me. Yeah. Yeah. So we have one more piece of feedback. Would you like to hear it? I would. I, I'm all giddy with for this one. Well, don't get too giddy, but it is fun. Here it comes. Hey, Ben and Daniel. This is Agent Alejandro calling from beautiful New Jersey. I'm just calling with some uh, Jessica Jones feedback. Well, it's not really feedback. Uh, just a suggestion. I really think you should call. You should rate your, your Jessica Jones episodes by fingerless gloves. Uh, as for Jessica Jones episode one, ladies night, I would rate it for fingerless gloves. Thank you. So there you have it. I think today, at least, I think we should do that, Daniel. Okay. So we will have our ratings in just a moment in fingerless gloves. And I think, shall we turn to that now? We can. Let's do it. Final report. All right, Daniel. So this is the time in the show where we rate the episode out of five. Out of five. Fingerless gloves. Fingerless gloves. So that's one weird-looking fella with his five hands for five fingerless gloves. But how many gloves is that five-handed fella going to be wearing based on your recommendation from this episode, Daniel? I'm going to go out on the limb here. Go out on that limb. I'm going to say four Fingerless gloves. Four fingerless gloves. You liked it that much? I did. And I'm going to give this episode a solid four fingerless gloves. So we have an agreement. A definite agreement. And therefore, I believe you are correct, Daniel, because you agree with me. <laughs> that that seems like you. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I thought that this was a strong episode. It's a good care episode. It's definitely not as fast paced as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, sometimes I don't know if I know how to feel about it just because I've gotten so used to our fast paced shows. Yeah. And for me, it's it's a character drama. You know, this this is it's a it's a noir detective story. It's a horror story. Absolutely a horror story. And and it's a character piece. I mean, they are definitely building character. They are definitely exploring character and they're allowing characters to do things and have quiet moments and have, I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did that. Daredevil had quiet moments. I mean, they, they have those things, but this show is built around those things. And it's a, it's a different show. And that's a big reason why I like it. So. Yeah, honestly, some days I just don't know what to think of it. It's not that I it's not that I hate it, but it's also this is going to sound weird, but it's also not like I love it. I can understand and appreciate what I'm seeing in front of me. But at the same time, it's not like it's not like Avengers where I'm sitting there. And I'm like, you know, I could really stand to watch Avengers today. You no, know what I, I mean? I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, and, you know, the second viewing is well, actually this episode wasn't bad. There wasn't as much uncomfortable feelings in this episode. 
I'm probably not going to watch this again unless there's a Jessica Jones season two. Maybe in preparation for the defenders. But probably not. But that doesn't mean I don't like it because I really, really liked it. And I really appreciate a lot of the things that they are trying to do with it. And to be fair, it's not like I'm sitting there going, I really want to watch Daredevil again either. No, but I could see myself going back to Daredevil in a year or two. Or or maybe before season two. But yeah, I agree. I agree. So I think that's it, Daniel. I want to say to those people listening out there right now, thank you for listening. I want to say thank you for spending time sending us messages. I want to say thank you for posting to our Facebook page. I want to say thank you for giving us iTunes reviews. I want to say thank you to those of you who, you know, in the past seasons uh, gave for the Howard the Duck commentary episode and, and gave us some some funding that allows us to be able to do the show better. I, I just want to say thank you, everyone. Uh, just thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading and thank you for putting our voices into your ear holes. Um, that's what I want to say. Daniel, do you have anything you want to say? You know, Ben, I was, I've, I've been thinking a lot about superhero TV. I was watching The Flash today, and I was kind of confused about some of the things that they were saying and how they were going to fix the problems. And here we've got Jessica. She's trying to find a solution to her problem. And at the end of the day, I just have to look at it and say, I don't know. It's science. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. And you can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level 7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level 7 pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is I Knew a Guy and On the Ground by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons license.
Okay, you demanded it. We are doing it. And by you demanding it, I mean a couple people on Facebook. But there's no reason not to do this. And there were some people on Twitter as well who said, you know, it's Marvel. It's Disney. It's it, it, it's something we should talk about. And Star- the important thing is we're huge fans. Yeah. Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. We're going to talk about it right now. And it's going to be spoiled completely. So if you've not seen it. Is it really? I think we can do it without it. I'm just giving. Nah, we're going to bring up stuff that is going to be spoiled. All right. I, don't don't ruin anything for me, Ben. Well, you've seen it. So I'm not sure Twice. how much I can ruin for you. Oh, you'd find a way. Well, I mean, every little thing that I have said said something to you, you've just been, yeah, I already knew that. I wasn't really thrilled with your review. I mean, you could have been a little bit more enthusiastic over there on Strangers and Aliens. I'm just saying. Which review? <laughs> the first one. The first one? Because we've done an hour and 40 minute episode about it now, too. Yeah, it seems like a lot. You've gotten to the point where you've talked about Star Wars The Force Awakens longer than the movie has, which I guess I should assume you do since we do that every week. I don't know if it's... Well, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, although, to be fair, that first episode we did, it was us riding in the car on the way there, riding in the car on the way back, talking the theater with someone who had never seen a Star Wars movie before that week and watched all seven of them in a week and then also in the car in the parking lot with our friends. So it was a fun episode. And then then we did our actual hour and 40 long review episode. We're going to be done with Star Wars for a while, but not here. So let's talk. Let's talk turkey. Daniel, how many fingerless gloves do you give The Force Awakens? Because of nostalgia and the fact that I have waited a decade, I give this five stars. Whoa. Whoa. Now, I admit, I admit, I see the story problems, such as this definitely feels like I've been there before, but I don't care. I don't care. I get I it. love Finn. I'm intrigued by Poe. I think Ray's great. I love a Star Wars movie that's got a strong female hero at the lead i get it i mean again we're we're gonna see things that we saw in the in episode four is that what they is that what the kids call it episode four i just call it star wars ben it is star wars that's what it is but um i i get it there's some repetition there but here's my theory about this movie uh we were talking off air about the fact that you know lucas seems you know not overly impressed and i you know, I've seen his comments about, you know, trying to make every movie unique and he doesn't feel like this is unique because it's repetition. And, you know, he's said things that are Wait, even He said worse. that? Yeah, he said that he, he felt it was too much repetition, that he tries to make every movie unique and that Disney <laughs> went out to make something for the fans instead of to he tell an original that. story. But here's the thing. Okay. I, I'm a fan. Okay. And – I think I've been waiting for a Star Wars movie made by fans for fans. And that's really what this is. I mean, it was made by fans for fans. It's got the look and feel and the story beats and the mythic cyclical storytelling we're expecting. Yeah, this was made by people who were inspired by Star Wars. This is made by people who are in film because of Star Wars. Yeah, this is a love letter. This is a love letter to what George did. And I think maybe maybe in a few years he can sit back and appreciate the fact that people loved his work so much 
that there are some heavy, heavy, heavy homages to what he did before. And, you know, for some folks, you know, hearing the phrase, I have a bad feeling about this might have been like, oh, I've heard that line before. You know what? They had to do it because in every Star Wars thing, they at some point they have to drop in. I have a bad Someone feeling. Someone says this. that in every movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least nobody said it's a trap. Wait, did somebody say it's a trap? I don't know. I don't remember hearing that. I would have. That sneaky little Akbar. Yeah. Well, I give this a 4.5. Uh, but for a lot of the same reasons, and I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, there were times, yeah, like you said, that I've been here before. I didn't mind that I'd been there before because I had never been there before with these characters. And that's, for me, the difference. We are doing some of these same story beats, but we're doing them with different characters. So the quote-unquote princess gets captured, but then she's getting herself out of it. And, you know, you have this Death Star, I, you know, the trench run, when they actually did the trench run, that was kind of my, oh, not great. But the lightsaber battle at the end, I loved the lightsaber battle at the end because it was someone who was just angry and wounded and hurt going after someone who really didn't know what she was doing, but she was just starting to uh, understand that she had great power. She had taken those first steps. Yeah, yeah. No, it was... And, and, I mean, and again, I've heard And they were both desperately complaint. fighting. They weren't doing flips. They weren't doing Jedi stuff. But... I've heard a lot of complaint about the fact, you know, Ray and Finn do too well. You know, and so let's, let's take the Finn piece, you know. Yeah, he was a sanitation officer. He's also been trained his entire life as a stormtrooper. He is a military person. Um, we saw stormtroopers equipped with staves this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly he's been trained on weapons and he's fit because he's able to be a stormtrooper. Yeah, they they moved him to stormtrooper duty. They wouldn't do that if he wasn't. Well, it, it's not like that. they put him in a non elite group either. I mean, he's with the famed Captain Phasma, you know. Uh, and assigned to Kylo Ren. I mean, it's not like he was a chump. Yeah. No. I, I, and and I love Finn. I love Finn. I do. And and we were. I sent a message to you later about some of the things the novelization does does uh, with him. But the thing is, is in the movie when Finn at one point is asked, you know, why did you do this? And he he's basically yes, he's trying to escape. But he says to Poe, "I'm just trying to do the right thing." And yeah, you can say, yeah, he's trying to escape. So he really wasn't trying to do the right thing. He was trying to be all about himself, but he helped Ray. But there's also an element there of not only does he, is he saying, uh, I want to do the right thing. I think he's trying to figure out what the right thing is. I mean, he's, he's, he's making this up as he goes along, trying to figure out this new life outside of his trading. And, well, and you're exactly right. His moral compass has been completely set by the First Order. And now it's been reset by some of the things he's experiencing and realizing there's something not right about this. I love the character of Finn. And as he's going through this, there's only one beat that doesn't really work for me. And, and that's when he's with Ray and the Falcon and he says, you know, do you have a, you have a boyfriend? A really good looking boyfriend? And I do wonder, okay, where does that fit into... 
his stormtrooper training and life <laughs> that he's living, uh, where he's thinking about boyfriends and, and girlfriends and stuff like that. Um, other than I I'm mean, just saying, I got a, a lot of experience with military history, and there's a lot of Luke Cage in some of those guys throughout history. Yeah, but are they especially under this kind with of groups that training? have been separated from society? All right, I, I'm I'm just saying it, it it felt a little a little off. I really appreciate that it's kind of their relationship is not just a oh we fell in love at first sight, but they're actually building a friendship based. Yeah, on, he didn't go Luke on her. No, it, it's mutual admiration. It's they've survived a situation together. But Shared then, experiences. But then they like each other too, and and they're they're friends. They're friendly. So I I, I like those two characters. Poe. I hear a lot of people saying how much they like him. Uh, we don't spend that much time with him. I wanted more time with him. I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Uh, but you know, like all cool guys, with with you know, for me growing up. I never really got to know them. You know, I've heard a lot of complaints about Finn and Poe and the fact that their relationship strikes too quickly. Again, I'm going to go back to the Finn thing here. I, I could maybe understand that criticism with Finn and not Finn with Poe with the fact that Poe so quickly likes Finn. But to be blunt, Finn's entire identity almost becomes wrapped up in this interaction in a, in a TIE fighter. Poe literally names him. Yeah. Yep. You know, and you and I were kind of joking with Agent Evan, who didn't quite get the joke about the fact, you know, first Lando is stealing Han's clothes and now Poe and uh, now Finn's stealing Poe's clothes. But not only does he name him, he literally puts clothes on him. Yeah. You know, uh, he's you know, you talk about Finn taking steps to being a new person and to discovering who he is. A lot of that starts with this very, very quick interaction in a TIE fighter with Poe. And this is what I like about this movie, Daniel, is that, yes, on a surface level, it's I won't say it's beat for beat remake, uh, but it comes close. There's there's moments where you're just, OK, yeah, well, you like the ice planet. You like the Death Star. What if the ice planet was the Death Star? But there's some depth beneath the surface. So yes, they're hitting all these fanboy beats. They're hitting all these fangirl beats. They're hitting all these moments where they're like, we're giving you what you want. We're giving you, you know, we're giving you tie fighters. We're giving you X wings. We're giving you battles, but we're going to tweak it just to the left. So the battles are all not in space, but actually on planets. So it's a little bit different. And you know, the, the battles happening above a landscape and the lightsaber fight is just going to be brutal, kind of like it was in Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, there's all these elements of you know, callbacks and that kind of thing. But beneath the surface of all of that, there is some depth of character. And so I, I've seen a lot of complaints as well, Daniel. I don't mind the complaints. Most of the complaints that I see, I can say... I can see why you're saying that, but at the same time, I do have a problem with a lot of the ways that is being said. Uh, but this is a review of the movie, not not a review of of people on Facebook and Twitter who are just being kind of jerks. Well, and and again, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here. I never demanded that this movie be a perfect movie. Never needed it to be a perfect movie. And again, I can see as I sit back and I'm critical about it. And, and here's part of the problem, Ben. This is part of the problem with what we do. 
when's the last time we really just sat back and watched something without having to be critical of it beat for beat? I mean, the thing is, is like Ant-Man, maybe if I didn't feel like I had to analyze it, maybe I would be more positive about it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. Which I got it for Christmas, so I'm going to try to just sit down and just watch it. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first time I watched it, very, very critical. Second time, you know, I still don't like some of the... I, do, I still don't like the ending, but I can see why people like it. And I enjoy it on a second and third viewing. And that's why I watched Jessica Jones the way I did. When I watched it the first time through, no notes at all. Same here. I did not Same. write down a single thing. I just wanted to watch it, experience, have fun with it. Make that phone call at the end, sure. Just to say how I felt about it. But uh, Yeah, I watched this twice and I allowed myself to not have to break down every little thing in it. I allowed myself to enjoy it. Enjoy it. I allowed myself to see new old friends on the screen and was open to new friends entering my life. And I was shocked how much I liked the old friends. I mean, the new friends. <laughs> I look forward to three more movies of Finn and Ray. I do too. I look forward to it. You I, know what? Shipped, not shipped, I don't care. I just like them. I look forward, really, and, and this is, again, not a popular opinion necessarily, but I liked Kylo Ren. Now, it's not name affinity. Just because his name is actually Ben it doesn't that's not the reason i like him but i like him because of what he is again it's taking that thing that you're familiar with and then tweaking it a little bit to the left and so here he is he's got the mask he's got the presence but then he has this temper and then he takes off his mask and kind of like at the end of return of the jedi he takes off the mask there it's this old man who looks kind of harmless if he was someone you just see on the street this young man does not look like the you know the calm cool and collected evil who he tries to present himself as he has to wear the mask not to stay alive like darth vader did he has to wear the mask so people will be intimidated by who he is and i like that he's this young guy who just uh is trying so hard to do and be something that he's not necessarily and he's extremely childish. He is extremely, extremely childish. And that's on purpose. People are complaining about that. Like, oh, they, they just didn't make him a very good bad guy. That's the intention. He is not a good bad guy. You know what he is? Along with Ray, they are both reflections of Luke Skywalker. Or you could go even go back to Anakin Skywalker, where they both, you know, with Ray going on her, her journey, starting her journey, but they are both kind of learning they're at the beginning R kylo ren is going to go and finish his training toward the dark side or whatever it is that he's he's training toward but using the dark side of the force he's anti-luke skywalker he is doing all the same things that luke skywalker was doing both kylo ren and luke skywalker had a very wrong opinion of darth vader luke skywalker thought his father was a hero and turns out his father is Darth Vader. Kylo Ren thinks his father is the ultimate evil. It turns out he's this old man who died trying to redeem himself by saving his son. And, and when you talk about oh, Han, why did Han leave? 
You, you, you know why? You know what I hear when I hear the dialogue of why Han left? I hear he left because he loved Leia. Yeah. Yeah. He left because her seeing him caused her pain. And she admits that not only did, did he withdraw, but she withdrew. And, and a family that goes through a loss of a child, that's that's I think it's like 80 percent chance that your your marriage is going to fall apart. You know, it's not good odds, basically. And although Han would say, never tell me the odds. But, uh, but he clearly still very dearly loves his wife. He has very, very deep feelings for her and she has deep feelings for him. And those moments they have together are wonderful. The jacket thing, it's so simple, so stupid, but so natural and so just adorable. And, and now we've spent I, how many years with these people, you know, yeah, literally all of our life with these people, um, just rerunning the same bits of their life over and over and over again. But And, and this is going to sound really weird, but I'm incredibly excited to see Chewie in the next movie. Me too. Because Chewie now has a new role. Mm-hmm. Chewie is now almost a mentor. He's passing on the history and tradition of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, you know, a mentor, you know, or maybe just a protector, you know, or or guardian or, uh, yeah, and or I, co-pilot, and I honestly. Leia's I mean, Leia's in pain. But we have to recognize that Chewie is in even greater pain. That's another beat that I felt didn't work well was when they came after everything had happened with Han. Chewie should have gone to Leia and embraced her. In in the background, they should have. He walked past her and just went into the crowd. He should have gone to her because they both. He, He was not a bystander. No, no, no. Uh, I, I felt like it was a, a missed opportunity there, but they, they wanted the embrace to be between Ray and Leia. I mean, I understand the story reason for doing it I, or the, the meta reason maybe, but, uh, but I'm excited to see Ray and Chewie in the cockpit of the, the Millennium Falcon flying away together with R2-D2 and BB-8, you know? Yeah. And then there's Luke. And I'll say this right now, Daniel, the, the first best. line of the scroll has Luke's name in it. The last scene is Luke, you know, in his face. But I was so relieved when I saw the reason that we haven't heard much from Mark Hamill is not because Luke is Kylo Ren. It's not because Luke is the new emperor. He's missing. He's gone into hiding. He's gone into, you know, self-imposed exile. Oh, I was so relieved. I saw him at the end of the movie and I was just, oh my goodness, this is who I wanted to see him be. Because when I was a kid, I was Luke as that little kid looking up in the sky. And I just, he's the one I, that always resounded with me. If you ask me Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, it was always Luke Skywalker. And now I'm a father. Now I have a job, you know, working with children and, and teaching and that kind of thing. And I see Luke Skywalker at the end of the movie. And I'm like, oh, he's me again. I can look up to this guy, you know, and maybe he's made mistakes and we'll find out about that. But that was uh, such a relief at the beginning. And then another relief that we actually got to see him at the end, even though I would have loved to have heard him say some things. But this was Han Solo. You know, they they gave that nostalgia beat in this movie 
to Han Solo. The nostalgia right, stuff is going to come in the next movie with Luke. And again, JJ, a man who loves this cast, he, Han Han's demise is predictable. Han, Harrison Ford wanted to die in Empire. So again, they gave the you know one person what they wanted. They gave Harrison Ford that scene he was looking for. Well, in that moment, as we were getting closer and closer to it, I started realizing, oh no, I see where this is going. Oh, I don't want it to go there. And then I realized that's why we spent so much time with him. He's been so prominent in this movie because he's going. Oh, but didn't you feel like the minute people started to say this is really a Han Solo movie in the rewrite that that is where we're heading? I stayed away from all that kind of stuff. I stayed away from articles about the script. I stayed away from articles about any production problems or any production uh, notes, anything like that. When I wrote you that message today that you were just like, you know, whatever about how Ralph McQuarrie's uh, designs, I was looking at a bunch of his old pictures and he did a lot of concept art for the original Star Wars. And I realized, oh, my goodness, that was in Force Awakens. Oh, my goodness, that looks like something for Force Awakens. And you're like, yeah, everyone knows that. But I, I didn't read those articles. I purposely stayed away from them. Did you catch the Daniel Craig? Uh, afterward, I read the article about Daniel Craig, but I didn't catch it during. I, ca- I caught it during the movie. I was so proud of myself. Did you know he was going to be in it, though? I knew he was going to be okay. in it. I knew he was going to be a stormtrooper. It took me about half that scene. For me to realize, hey, that accent's familiar. And when he says, and I will drop my weapon, that's when you're like, oh, yeah, that's Daniel Craig. That wow. is him right there. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it a second time. I haven't again, watched it a second I time love yet. I but... the Stormtroopers. They're just people. Childish Kylo's freaking out. Two Stormtroopers walking down the hall. Yeah, let's go a different way. Who hasn't been there? I did catch the uh, the Ian McGregor line I, I did not the first time yeah i i did catch that i mean i just was like oh but my goodness that was Al- even, oh my goodness that's that's frank oz did you catch alec guinness I, at first i thought it was alec guinness and no i no, mean he's in there i know he is he, he's they took his line where he said afraid and they cut off the f and the duh and he says ray so it's alec guinness actually saying ray's name even though he never said ray's name but I didn't catch it. It was him. I thought it was him, but then I realized, no, that's probably Ewan McGregor. Cause and I'm they, just going to say this. Having listened to our predictions at the beginning of season three here, I don't want to take any chances on making predictions about who's raised daddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely on the Luke Skywalker. Team, I'm definitely team on the Luke that. Skywalker side too. So. I mean, it was Anakin's lightsaber. Luke's lightsaber. Again, the Obi-Wan theory actually makes a lot of sense to me. He had that lightsaber longer than either one of them did. Um, sure, it can make so, sense, but I, I don't think I don't think you, you think he's irresponsible anyway. So it, it would just feed into your theory. You know, he left his duty on uh, on Tatooine, had a family. I used you know. to love Obi-Wan so much. And then I started thinking about all the things he did wrong. That's how I feel about Yoda. Yoda too. Yoda. And now are we going to feel this way about Luke? I mean, what did Luke do? He did. He pulled the Yoda. Things go bad. Jedi start dying. And what are you going to do? Just go going. off and run away. Come on, Luke. Take some responsibility. But we might find out some more things. I mean, he's trying to find the first Jedi temple. I mean, that's got some cool potential. They set up a whole bunch of things. And that's the one other thing that I kind of understand as a complaint is if you're trying to mirror the rhythm of the other trilogies 
those first movies in both trilogies end with a celebration and on an up note and really end as if this is the end of a story. And then you get into the second one and it's setting up, you know, all of the, the different things, the, the, the strings that they're going to answer in the third movie. This one is setting up tons of threads that can be pulled from you know, any direction on any of these upcoming movies. And I love it because we're all talking about it. Yeah, That's no, it's thing. exciting. It's you, definitely. You can criticize it and say, oh, it's not the same. But we're all talking about it. And I ended this movie with that feeling of elation that I felt with Return of the Jedi and that I felt with the first one because of Mark Hamill, honestly. Everyone's, oh, it ends on a down note because Finn's unconscious. Yeah, you know what? You know what they're doing with Finn? Sure. They're, they're making it so that he is not able to go with Rey. That's what they're doing with Finn. They're not doing it because they think you're gonna he's going to be killed off like a Han Solo and Carbonite. No, no. He just can't go with her. And he would if he was alive or awake. And rather. potentially, uh, I'll throw this out here. There's going to be an absence. I mean, Ray's going to be out there for a while, you know. And he may try and find her. I mean, that might be his but, mission. But but he may come too. And again, he's trying to discover himself. So he's going to have potentially this this time period where he's not going to have the impact of a Ray to help him define who he is. So bottom line, I enjoyed the movie. I really had a lot of fun and I liked thinking about it and looking at all the things that they were trying to do to give extra depth to some of these ideas that we've already seen before. Uh, but I really feel like it's a, a worthy addition to the other six episodes. Absolutely. And I'm excited for rogue one. That's going to be fun. Taking now, this. I'll admit it. My family doesn't really get what rogue one is. <laughs> uh, a lot of people I've talked to don't either. Uh, they don't understand. And, and when I tried to tell them, yeah, we're going to get a, a Star Wars movie every year. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We See, are. And, and this is maybe where there's going to be a change for you. you. I often talk about Rebels, which you've never seen, and, and is fantastic. We both got a message about a Rebels piece tonight. And you jokingly made an offhand comment about it. And I wanted to say, well, Ben doesn't acknowledge that Rebels exists, even though it's canon. So, uh, you know. It's not that I don't acknowledge that it doesn't exist. I just haven't watched it yet. That's all. Right. That's it. I but, liked the first. I, I did watch the, uh, the the first movie. Movie length, but, but, hour long, whatever. I liked that. But now, now, by the way, it's a better Fantastic Four than any Fantastic Four movie that's been made. It really is. But uh, now we're going to have a new kind of Star Wars. We're going to have these one offs and people are going to go see them where they don't go and do things like watch the cartoons. So they can be bold. We could see a Bothan spy. <laughs> Quite possibly. Question is, will he die? Because yeah. many of them did die. I, I think the question is, is, do we want to see a Bothan spy? Yeah, I don't know. Daniel, we have spent a lot of time talking about this, and I think it's time for us to, to shut this down. I'm really kind of sad that I'm more enthusiastic in my tone about this than AKA whiskey. Yeah. But you know, it's different. That's the thing. These are all very different things. And AKA Jessica Jones, she is going to give us lots of things to talk about, but they aren't necessarily exciting, fun, rah, rah, shoot them up things. It's, it's heady, heavy stuff. It, it it's heavy stuff. I mean, we're talking about rape culture. We're talking about uh, manipulation and mind control. 
And then we're also talking here now, lightsabers and stormtroopers who want to do the right thing. So it's a different world, a different kind of things. Well, I loved it. I loved it. All right, cool. Well, Daniel, I'll let you have the last word then. I loved it. I just loved it. <laughs>